It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Janice Dean. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, September 6th, 2022. I'm John Saucier. It's noteworthy to compare what effects this war in Ukraine has had on Russia. Of course, are the ones who invaded Ukraine, the ones who are killing civilians there, and the ones who are destroying cities. Are they destroying themselves, though? There's not going to be a good end state because they, the Russian army has been beat up very, very badly. There are, there are reports of saying there's been roughly 70,000 Russian casualties. This is the Fox News Rundown. War on Ukraine. Guy Benson, join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. The New York Stock Exchange had a special guest when it opened up on Tuesday. Appearing via a video link, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, through a translator, says his country is already working to rebuild. We are rebuilding our economy. We are giving you and your companies the opportunity to work together with us for the benefit of all us. This war still could be far from over, though. Look, I think this is can be kind of, kind of interesting because I actually said this on uh, America Reports about two months ago. I said, watch to the south because this is where I think the Ukrainians were going to make their move. We're speaking today with Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, who's not only a Fox News contributor, but a former national security advisor to Vice President Mike Pence. Because it was basically an asymmetric fight. What I mean by that is, while the Russian forces were focused in the, in the Donbass region, uh, there was a real vulnerability in the south with Russian forces. And they started to make inroads around Mikolaev uh, in Kherson uh, and started pushing that way. And they've been very, very uh, successful in those attacks, which has kept the pressure off of Odessa, which is also down there. And because the the, uh, the Russians haven't been able to really put a lot of forces down there because they were so focused on the Donbass region, uh, and and they just couldn't compensate for the offensive that the Ukrainians were were undertaking down there. And plus, the Ukrainians put a lot of firepower on it. So I see the Ukrainians making some very big inroads, which should be a threat to the Russians, because what it does, if you keep, if you look at a map, and you can see where they're moving from Mikhailov to Kyrgyzstan, the next stop is actually that one, you know, region in Ukraine, uh, in Crimea, which you can actually cut Crimea off. And that would really be a real problem for the Russians. And they don't have the force structure down there to continually push back, primarily because the, the forces that the Russians invaded with uh, have been significantly mauled. Uh, they've lost a lot of their top flight units uh, that, that were involved early on, and now they're kind of reaching out for second and third level units. Their leadership has been badly damaged at the senior the regimental in, in level, which is the senior officer level. And their style of leadership is much different than the Western style, which we've trained the Ukrainians in, which the, the Russians rely on senior leadership to make decisions, and they don't push it down to captains, lieutenants, and sergeants like we've trained to do in the American military. So you're seeing the advantages 
of, of this training and this firepower in the South. So do I see this working pretty well? Yeah. Does that mean that the Ukrainians are going to be winning overall? Not really, because the, the Russians still hold about 20% of Ukrainian territory, and there's still a lot of mass there. But what it does show that there's some... Uh, equivalents there with the Russians, and I think they can actually pull off a significant counterattack, push them out of Kherson, which would be significant, push them back towards the Crimea region, and then that puts Crimea under risk as well, because it's now within range. So I would say, John, you know, the short part of it is, I think this is going to go on for the next couple of months, and I think the Russians can't win this fight. But at the same time, I'm not sure the Ukrainians can either. I think we're look like we're heading for a draw of some type. The problem you run into a draw is you have to have an interlocutor who's going to figure out how what peace looks like, and nobody's willing to do that. Putin's not going to give in. Zelensky's not going to give in. And I don't see anybody in the western part of the world that is willing to help out by getting some type of negotiation going. I want to make a historical comparison here, and I think you're well positioned to tell me if I'm right or wrong. My point is, is that Ukraine doesn't necessarily have to win this war to win it with this counteroffensive. I'm thinking back to the Vietnam War and the Tet Offensive mm-hmm. that really showed the American troops that, no, the Vietnamese were ready to fight and they were ready to go on the offensive. Obviously, there were other things that happened too, but the United States ended up pulling out of Vietnam. Can Ukraine put forth their own Tet Offensive, if not to push the Russian military out of Ukraine forcefully, but just to show Russia that they are capable of fighting? You know, John, actually, I think that's already happened. I think that happened in the first two weeks of the war when the Russians made a concerted effort to take Kiev. Uh, they didn't do it, and they used very good units. They used good tank guard armies units. They used their airborne forces, the VDV, and they used Spetsnats, and they failed. And because of that failure, the whole world kind of said, oh, you know, these guys can be handled. Remember, Zelensky made that great comment. You know, this is the kind of guy you want to have a beer with after he said it like that. He said, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. And he basically stayed and fought it out. When that happened, it showed that there was a real vulnerability within the, in the Russians. And you could see it, and they forced them back. Here's what I think is interesting. A lot of people didn't pick up on it. When that happened, I said, I went in and I did a deep dive on it, John. Why did this happen? And I looked at their training, and then I looked at their philosophy. And it was the philosophy of fighting was written by their senior general officer, a guy named Gerasimov. And the Gerasimov doctrine totally and fundamentally changed how the Russians fight. You know, I was used to reading World War II, Cold War, the Battle of Kursk in World War II, 6,000 Russian tanks. And they went to small units, what they call BTGs, battalion tactical groups. So they couldn't mass forces very, very well. And because of that, they couldn't fight combined arms very, very well. And the, and the Ukrainians were willing, able to handle that early on. They were able to handle that also in Donbass relatively well, in Luhansk provinces as well, and they're handling that in the south. So they've already had that moment, and now the Russians are aware they're not going to be able to take all of Ukraine. They can't do it. And we in the West and the NATO should realize, you know, these guys are not six feet tall. They're, they're about six inches tall. Uh, you know, I used to make a comment. I probably insulted the Belgians when I said it. I said, you know, this is Belgium with nuclear weapons. These guys don't have a capacity to fight, and, they, and they've proven that. And so they had that moment early on. The problem is they're, they're big. They've got a large amount of forces, and, you know, size is a quality all of its own. And as long as you've got a guy like Putin who's willing to throw a lot of troops at it, 
there's not going to be a good end state because they, the Russian army has been beat up very, very badly. There are there are reports saying there's been roughly 70,000 Russian casualties, not dead, but killed, wounded, uh, you know, not being able to return to duty. That is a significant portion of their military, considering the invasion force was 300,000. That means when you look at that and you strip out the support forces, they have lost one-third of their army in Ukraine, and they have not accomplished very much at all. 20% of the territory taken, barely holding on. Uh, they're clearly not a threat to NATO. But Putin seems to be very, very intent on holding on to what he's got. But you're looking at a very fragile Russian military that's should not uh, that no one in NATO should be afraid of right now. This war rages on, but are both sides running out of equipment and soldiers? Our guest today, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, Fox News contributor and former National Security Advisor to Vice President Mike Pence, who has some very in-depth takes on this war in Ukraine. We'll continue right after this. Now, are they running out of ammunition or military equipment also? We had a report this week that from the Russian Ministry of Defense is in the process of purchasing millions of dollars of rockets and artillery shells from North Korea. Obviously, that doesn't make American officials very happy. We heard from President Biden this week, too, that says he opposes the idea of labeling Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. What do you think about that idea? Do you think that might help Ukraine in this war, or is it too risky to erode U.S.-Russian relations by doing so? You know, John, I don't know why we do this. Uh, and what I mean by why we do this is, you know, Biden should be all in. You know, the administration should be all in. You know, push all your, your, you know, your chips in the table. And we're not. You know, here's what I mean by we're not. You, we're not giving them a lot of the advanced systems they need. For example, why aren't we giving them aircraft? Why don't we train their pilots in the A-10? Why don't we, you know, after six months you could have trained them by then. Why don't we give them more HIMARS or MRIS systems going in there? It's almost like we want to say, well, we want you to do really well but we really don't want you to win this. So, you know, just kind of go so far to do this. And when you look at the alliance as well, and I'm very critical of the alliance, you know, the Kiel Institute of Economics, Kiel, Germany, uh, evaluated 40 countries to include places like Japan, and we're one of the 40. And two-thirds of the money and and two-thirds of the support come out of the United States of America. If you take away England, almost 75% of the support for Ukraine comes out of the United States. Now, you know, we're drawn down on our equipment, too, and the Russians are, too, because they're using so much artillery. But this doesn't bode well for them long term because it takes, John, it takes a long time to reestablish military capacity, capability. And, you know, we're not on war footing, so our our factories are not running 24-7. And they're the same way. They, their equipment is running out. They're bringing in old equipment. They're running out of ammunition. And that's what I'm saying. Uh, we should, nobody should be afraid of them at all because they cannot complete the entire conquest of Ukraine, even though a lot they'd like to. And I'm sure they're trying to think of how they get out of this mess. It's sort of like they're in one now and they can't figure it out. And nobody's helping them. But, but at the same time, we should try to figure a way to get to some type of resolution on this because of the amount of civilians being killed and the cities being destroyed. You know, they, the cities are being wiped off the map. And there should be some way to get to conflict resolution on this. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned before, and we've heard a number of times, it doesn't really seem like the Biden administration has a firm policy in place on how they're dealing with Ukraine. There's kind of a patchwork of what they're doing as this war goes along. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, Fox News contributor, we really appreciate your 
very good insight on this and getting in depth in some of these issues and stuff and uh, your take about how this war is slowing to a standstill. Russia can't win. It just kind of seems like that's coming more and more into fruition as uh, the days turn and the months turn on the calendar. We're in the seventh month of this war. Thanks for stopping by and checking us out and speaking with us here on the Fox News Rundown War in Ukraine podcast. We appreciate you. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 